Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Today we're talking with Danny Carr, who is a trauma-informed sobriety coach and breathwork and meditation teacher who uses Gabor Mate's compassionate inquiry approach to healing and coaching. Danny is the host of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast and has successfully worked with hundreds of people to find healing and liberation from alcohol and negative patterns. So Danny, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Casey. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. I was saying that I reached out to you to have this conversation because I'm a big fan of your podcast. And every time I look in Apple Podcasts about what people are listening to, they often listen to both my podcast and your podcast. So I thought it would be a great conversation. Amazing. That's so cool. I'm so glad to be in such great company. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so just to get started, I know you're from Australia, um, but will you tell us a little bit about your story and, you know, how you quit alcohol, why you quit alcohol? Well, yes. So I'm in Australia, obviously, and we've been quit now for 
just over five years. And so my husband and I have both sort of been together for about 20 years and been in the, in the music industry. My husband's a musician. I'm a musician, but just heavily involved in that, you know, the music industry here in Australia and the drinking culture is huge. I mean, the drinking culture in Australia is huge, but within the music industry, it's, it's massive. And I guess that's the same everywhere. But I grew up in a country town, a very small country town in central Victoria in Australia. And as kids, we had nothing to do on the weekends. There was literally nothing to do. So we drank. And I think I had my first drink when I was 13 years old. And I just remember feeling, okay, this feels good. I felt confident and I felt like I fitted in. And Fitting in, I think, was something that was really important to me, which I didn't understand more until recent times, I guess, doing the compassion inquiry work. But so I guess that's just what we did then every weekend, every single weekend, just getting absolutely trashed as kids, you know, Friday, Saturday, drinking a, a I don't know if you call it in America, but it's a cask of wine, you know, like mm-hmm. the big, we would drink that, get hammered. And that kind of pattern continued. Then into my 20s, when I met Ash in my early 20s, we got together drinking. We met in a pub that we were both playing music at, got drunk, hooked up, you know, and it just kept going like that until it was just getting, I guess, more and more frequent as well. When you're younger and you're having these big blackout drinking sessions, you kind of get up and you dust yourself off. Let's sort of actually leave it probably for another week. But as I was getting older, it was becoming more and more frequent. And then Ash would be away on, like he'd be away touring. So I would start drinking as well, I guess, because I was lonely and I wasn't blackout drinking. Then we had kids, we've got two daughters. So I was probably trying to control it a bit more, but when he'd come home, it was just on, like we'd just be drinking and, and just blacking out. And it was getting to the point where I couldn't remember putting my kids to bed. I couldn't remember if I'd even fed them the night before. You know, so waking up in the morning with that panic of like, oh my God, where are the kids? Oh my God, did I feed them? Have they got a nappy on? You know, all those things and just the, oh my God, just the panic. You know, I'd get up and look for evidence that I'd fed them or look for evidence that their teeth were brushed. They're in their beds, nappies on, you know, and the heart would be racing. Yeah. And and not just that, it was also, you know, the questionable behaviour, like going through my phone, who did I call last night? I was just the worst blackout drunk. So I'd wake up honestly having no idea of what had gone on the night before, seeing messages on my phone or looking in my call list to see who I'd called and how long I'd spoken to them for. And, you know, like seeing a call that might have been 40 minutes long, just getting this sick feeling in my stomach going, I don't remember that conversation. What the hell did I say? And so I I guess just that on repeat every weekend or a few times a week, I just was sick of it. And I was starting to really not like who I was. I was like, who, who are you? Why, why are you like this? That's it. You've got to stop, (laughs) you you know, and then I'd try and stop and I would stop for a couple of weeks or even a month sometimes. And then, okay, I've got this. I, I can moderate now. And then I would just be back where I started. You know, sometimes I'd manage, manage to moderate but it never stuck. Yeah. So, yeah, but just this whole continual thing of waking up, hating myself, not trusting myself when I would drink, 
as well. Like, who am I going to be this time or what am I going to do? And I just got absolutely sick to death of it. So we decided a friend of mine said she was taking a year off alcohol and I thought, right, she's one of my best friends and someone I drank a lot with. I thought, great, this is all, this is what I need. So one of my besties saying they're taking a year off, I can do it too. Then I've got, I don't have to explain, you know, I'm just doing what she's doing. It's like it gave me permission to take the time off. I said to Ash, I mean, our relationship was suffering too because of it, like massive fights, you know, just drinking that much alcohol and being completely smashed. It's not conducive to a great relationship. (laughs) So, yeah, he said, yep, I'm going to do it as well. And then a couple of other muso friends as well and some some other musicians here in Australia said, yep, we're in as well. We'll we'll do it too. So I had this sort of group. Yeah, it was so cool to have this camaraderie with other people and friends who are all massive drinkers. Like we were big, big drinkers. Although we weren't daily drinkers, we were definitely big binge drinkers. And it was really cool because we sort of cool, like this sort of group of cool people doing cool things, but we all just decided to do this together and that's how it started. That's incredible. How old were your Mm. kids when you decided to take that year off of drinking? Yeah, so our eldest, Sunny, she would have been, I think, eight and a half, nearly nine years old. Mm-hmm. And Aria would have been about six. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I finally yeah. stopped drinking when my son was eight years old and my daughter was two. But when you were talking about just blackouts and not remembering things and trying to put the pieces together, I was the exact same way. Um, not yeah. remembering shows that I watched or you know, I would even go to San Francisco with a girlfriend and wake up the next morning and be like, oh God, I didn't call my husband and my son. And she was like, yeah, you FaceTimed with them for a really long time. And I had no recollection of it. So, I mean, I completely feel what that feels like and how it can seem like a good time in the moment. And then looking back, you're just like, what was going on? You're so right. It's like it's a good time in the moment, but when you wake up the next day and you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach, I think that's a good indicator if it needs to be looked at to how you feel about yourself the next day. Oh, God. Even you saying that, it just made my my tummy flip over because just that feeling, I'm just so (laughs) so glad to not feel that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to admit that like, I yesterday went out to brunch, came home and was really sick. It was a really nice place. So I had no idea why, but like on my knees, throwing up, climbing into bed, feeling ill, still don't feel good today. And I can't believe I used to live like that, like on a regular basis. I, you know, we're always like, oh, in sobriety, you need to take breaks and regroup and people resist that, right? They're like, I can't. Mm. I have so much to do. But I did nothing yesterday. Mm. And it was just because I was so sick. And that used to happen all the time. Yeah, it's so weird when you – I've had something similar recently where I had a funny tummy and saying to my husband, my God, this was – like it, it just took me out for the day. I just felt terrible Just and I just had to lay around in bed. And I was saying to him, God, this used to be a really uh, – like a regular occurrence. I didn't get any, you just don't get a lot done either. You realize like I'm so productive now. It's like, 
yeah, geez, what the hell did I do? Like I was just laying around a lot, feeling sorry for myself, licking my wounds. I know, and just like beating yourself up. At least yesterday when I wasn't sick, I was yeah. I wasn't like, oh my God, this is my fault because I'm a horrible person and a nightmare. Mm. And you know, I was just mm. like, this sucks. But yeah. so it sounds like, and I know this isn't true, that you were incredibly lucky in that I mean, suddenly you had a huge group of friends all decide, including your spouse, to stop drinking at once. Was it something that you guys had talked about in advance or worried about your drinking with the group or anything like that or totally spontaneous? Mm, there was only, there were six of us. I guess we'd all talked about it individually to each other at, at times. We were pretty all very close friends. Yeah. So there were obviously people, there was yeah one couple we hung around with a lot. One of the guys played music with Ash, my husband, and like he in particular was a huge drinker. And so oftentimes, you know, you wake up the next day and ha, 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 laugh it off. But then sometimes we'd have this conversation like, shit, you were really wasted last night or pointing out the other one's behavior. And so we'd have the chat and sometimes saying, God, I've got to stop. I really want to stop for a while. I feel terrible. And then probably one of the others would say, you're okay, don't worry about it. Let's let's have another, you know, we'll have another session. Some of us had, you know, raised the issue, I guess, that, yeah, they wanted to stop or wanted to have a break. I guess once one of the friends said, I'm taking time off, and then once I said it, I said it to Ash, we mentioned it to this other couple who they were just like, we're in, we're doing it too. And, right. yeah, it, just sort of happened like that so we started a little whatsapp group at the time ash and i were living in bali so we started a little whatsapp group do you know what whatsapp is yes yeah yeah so we would just contact each other all the time so if we were going somewhere or if we're going to a show or we were traveling we'd say oh my god i'm at the airport and there's free wine here in the lounge and ah." and then someone else would jump in and go just go, don't look at it, go get a cup of tea, you know, go do something else. Or, you know, if one of the boys had a big show on, they'd say, you know, like, yeah, backstage and there's beer everywhere and, you know, and so someone else would see that and jump in and comment and help them through that. And it, it was just incredible. It definitely got all of us through that. Well, actually a couple of people fell off, but it got the core group of us, it got us through. And I remember one day, it was probably about six months in, and we were, Ash was on tour, we were staying somewhere in Western Australia. It's the wine country, the sort of wine yeah. capital over there. It's called Margaret River. And I was cooking and I love to cook and I'm making this pasta. And I'm like, this needs some wine in it. So I thought I'd go down to the bottle shop and get some wine. Of course, I buy like a $55 bottle of of wine. I mean, obviously I wasn't, you know, normally to cook with you buy like a cheap shitty bottle and then I just started contemplating having a glass I'm like it's such a good bottle of wine I don't want to waste it it smells really good and I was pretty close to drinking I really started to really take over and that was the pact it was like if we're ever going to drink we have to message first in, to the group so I just said hey I'm I think I'm going to drink fuck it I'm just going to drink and then one of them just said put the fucking drink down, go make a cup of tea, go sit outside and take a moment, just have the cup of tea first. Yeah. And I did and I just came to my senses and went and tipped the wine out and 
oh god i was so glad that yeah. that that was available you know that support it made all the difference i would have drunk for sure yeah. if that hi there if you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking but keep starting and stopping and starting again i want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course the sobriety starter kit The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. It's incredible that you sort of created that on your own, because I know so many people rely on, and I did too, like sort of Facebook communities of other people you know, starting mm. off, or I always call mm. it like your sober litter mates, the people who start right around you and kind of hit the milestones at the same mm. time. And you were able mm. to create that with your drinking friends. I mean, that's, that's like the dream, right? It was so awesome. It really, honestly, it made all the difference. And it just happened organically. Like I didn't understand back then about the importance of connection and all those things. It just, it's just how it happened. Yeah. So yeah, it was great. It was really good. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And so you and your husband, you haven't drank since, is that right? No. That's yeah, no, incredible. So. Yeah. I know. I just, honestly, I'm so grateful every day and I just feel like I never want to go back to that place. It got pretty dark for a while, you know, just that constant waking up, hating myself, judging myself, criticizing myself. It took a long time to change that way of thinking as well like pretty early on I started to notice the way I was talking to myself and noticing I'd still wake up with a feeling of dread sometimes I'd wake up going what did you do and then realizing oh no no you didn't you didn't do anything last night no you didn't even drink wow and then so I'd say to myself oh god Danny well done well done and I'll try and say something nice to myself yeah. Because I was so used to for decades waking up going, you fucking idiot. Look, you've done it again. What have you done? Oh my God. This horrible way of speaking to myself. I was so 
it's like I trained my brain to speak terribly to myself. So I really started to make a conscious effort to change the way I spoke to myself. And every morning I'd wake up and try and say something nice to myself and, oh, well done, well done. No, we're okay. We're, we're still here. We're still okay. Oh, I never want to go back there. Honestly, Casey, I'll just never go back there. And that's that was what kept me going was just like, wow, you've had a month of not waking up hating it, you know, not yeah. not feeling that dread and not hating yourself. Keep going, keep going. And sometimes if the thought for a drink came, I'd think, no, I know where this is going to lead. I know how I'm, I know how I'm going to feel if I wake up the next day and I've drunk and I can't remember the whole night. No, keep going, keep going. And I kept just thinking about that good feeling of how that felt to not wake up feeling like that. It kept me going. Yeah. Mm. It's so funny because I think, you know, you know this too, talking to so many people who stop drinking, your lives can be completely different. And yet that voice, the way you speak to yourself, either at 3am or the next morning is so similar. I mean, I used to wake up and the first thought that popped into my mind was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Get your shit together. Like without fail, that was like the voice on repeat. And my favorite thing now is like rolling over in the morning and just the the thoughts that go through my head are like, oh, is it raining today? Or like, God, the coffee smells good. Or, oh, I couldn't fall asleep last night. But it's not, you know, what the fuck is wrong with you? It's just... Yeah. It's just without judgment or hate or any of that crap. Yeah. It makes such a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah. Just to not have that that horrible way of speaking to yourself yeah. every day. And you realize, I realize now, obviously, five years of speaking really well to myself and really working on that, my relationship with myself, I almost, I, I feel so sad thinking about that. And I feel like, oh, gosh, you poor thing. Yeah. You're so precious. You're so, you're so, you're such a beautiful human. And look how you treated yourself for so long. Yeah. And, and you, you realize how that precious you were you using are. wine to like take care of yourself or reward yourself or oh. have fun. And so I'm I was, curious, I can yeah. hear it in the way you're talking about sort of like the pieces, I mean, self compassion, mm. looking into why you're doing stuff. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got into compassionate inquiry and what that sort of process and training was like? Yeah, that was just a lucky accident as well. I'd just been, I guess, reading a lot. Like I read a lot of self-help style yeah. books. It all started with listening to Oprah Winfrey <laughs> and listening to her podcast and I would start, you know, listen to one of her guests and then I'd go and buy their book and read it. And I got really heavily into Wayne Dyer, started with him. And that was the other thing early on in the journey. Every day I made sure I listened to or read something that was really helpful like that. So lots of Wayne. I loved Wayne. And I guess one thing led to the other. And I just got more and more interested in the psychology of addiction. And even though I wouldn't have classed myself as an addict, but I was still doing a repetitive behavior that was not helpful and that was an addictive substance. And a friend of mine's a, an amazing psychotherapist here, trauma-informed psychotherapist, and we were walking one day and we were talking about my own childhood and she was saying about trauma and I was like, oh, no, no, I didn't have trauma. I was really lucky, kind of 
oh no, I had a great, oh no, I didn't have a great childhood, but no, no, it was, it was okay. That wasn't as bad as some people. And then she said, oh, that, yeah, that's just, that's minimizing, you're minimizing your stuff, you know. And I had a, my mum's a pretty heavy drug addict with prescription pills and, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff there. Anyway, she said, there's trauma there, Danny. Like, go and read this book by this guy, Pete Walker. And it's called, it's, it's called, uh, Pete Walker, CPTSD, um, Surviving to Thriving. So I read that and I got really interested in this, in, in trauma and like the small traumas and how they kind of build up and inform the way that we kind of form our personalities and our coping mechanisms. So I got into that. So this is a really long answer to your question. And then she told me, she said, if you like that, check out this guy, Gabor Mate. He's amazing. So I watched some clips on Gabor and I was like, oh, wow. Like everything he said, I was like, oh, gee, oh, wow. So I started doing a deep dive into him and listening to everything I could. And then I just noticed that he had some online self-paced courses. So Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, yeah. So I did those and I really liked what he did. Then I jumped in and did a, like a, a, it was like over three weekends, the Compassionate Inquiry course. So I did that. And I actually got to have a one-on-one with him. Wow. Which was really cool. And at the time, my dad had just been diagnosed with lung cancer. Always, he had lung cancer. That's right. And it had come back at that stage. And my mum's drug taking went berserk and went through the roof. And there was a lot going on. And I had this knot in my stomach. And it was this horrible, debilitating knot, which I'd always get. I always used to say to Ash, I've got this, oh, the knot in my stomach's back. And I'd be scared I was going to get stomach cancer because of this knot. Anyway, Gabor said to me, I've said, I've got to get rid of this knot in my stomach. I can't get rid of it. It's driving me crazy. And I, I do, and I'd been sober for a while there. I do all the stuff. I do the breath work. I'm on the beach. I walk every day. I do yoga and it just won't go. It won't go. How do I get rid of it? And he just paused and looked at me and he said, why are you trying to get rid of a part of yourself? Mm. It's just trying to tell you something. And I was like, what? Well, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, no, but it's got to go. And he said, no. He said, if someone's knocking at your door and you keep pushing them out, what are they going to do? They're going to keep knocking louder and they're going to want to get back in. And he said, of course you've got a tightness in your stomach. You're upset. Your dad's lung cancer's come back. Your mum's drug taking's gone through the roof. It's just trying to tell you that there's upset there and it needs attention. So rather than try and get rid of it, why don't you welcome it in and give it the attention that it wants? Don't try and get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And that changed everything. I just went. I was so mind blown. So I did. I sat there with it and I just welcomed it. I sat there and I experienced it. Mm-hmm. I didn't try and get rid of it. And it went. It actually just went. And I realized now every time that shows up, I can be with it. So then I started to realize, oh, wow, this this guy is amazing. And so then I just signed up straight away for the Compassionate Inquiry course for a year. And that's what I do. I'm so passionate about it, about realizing our triggers, cravings, all these things that show up for us, taking them as an opportunity to learn from them. Mm-hmm. And so to get into a relationship also with your cravings that show up, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here, but trying to understand and unpack and learn from that, it's like it's a protector and it's trying to say, hey, something's wrong. Something's wrong here. I need attention. So whatever that is, big emotional response, a feeling in the body, a massive craving for alcohol or whatever it is that we might be seeking 
uh, pleasure from or if we're wanting to self-soothe with something. So the, the, the alcohol is just a symptom of something more underlying. So it's just saying, hey, there's something here to work on. So that's, that's what I just, just went so deep into that kind of work and learning from Gabor. And, and then of course, other people that you learn from within that community as well. And it's been life changing for myself, firstly. And, and then I've been able to work with a lot of people in that space using that kind. And it doesn't work for everyone. Not everyone's into it. Some people are just like, no, nah, this is just too, no, nah, it's not for me. I just, no, nah, I just want to talk about it or I just want you to tell me how to get rid of the craving. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, that's not how I work. I think that's so interesting. You know, I remember the first book of his that I was introduced to was long before I stopped drinking and probably before I really was even aware of how much of a problem it was, but Mm -hmm. it was when the body says no. And I think one of my, whether she was a massage therapist, but also sort of Reiki gave it to me and I just marked up and underlined and I felt like everything I was reading was just blowing my mind. And yet you learn all that. And then I kept drinking for another decade, probably, you know, to try to get rid of all those symptoms that, you know, it just got so complicated. So I love that your work is to sort of piece those apart and get underneath you know, what's going on? Well, I guess if we don't understand what's driving us to the drink or to the addictive behavior, how are we going to fix it? So one thing Gabor says is find out what's right about it. What's it do for you? Mm. What are you looking for in it? And then you can sort of unpack, okay, so let's just say I'm drinking for stress relief. Okay, how am I going to, what's right about it? It's okay, so the alcohol helps me switch off. It helps me wind down. Okay, so firstly, how can I give that to myself without the alcohol? But then also what's going on for me that I'm getting myself so stressed out or what's the stress all about? What's behind that? And then really unpacking that as well. So there's kind of two things to look at there. But it's if we don't kind of understand what's driving us to the drink, it's really hard to change long-term. If we don't understand those things, it's it's pretty hard to make. It's I think we're relying on willpower, perhaps yeah. more. Yeah, it's because we become scared. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am forty-eight, so if you are going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep. It is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this like I'm going through this, 
For a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Well, so question for you. I know you work with people on this. Do you see typical buckets of what's right about it? What does it do for you? So stress relief, I completely understand that. You know, typically people are like, I just want to downshift. I want to turn off my mind. I want to forget about everything in my life. And I love that you said both. How can you give that to yourself without alcohol to start? Mm -hmm. And then also what is underneath that that's getting me to the point where I just want to, you know, basically knock myself unconscious with this substance to get through my life. Yeah. I guess also I might I might not be answering your question here, but this is really important is realizing that there is a discomfort. There is a discomfort there somewhere, whether it's that I'm stressed and I don't like how that feels or I feel self-conscious in a social situation and I don't like how that feels. There's always something that we don't like how it feels. I've got to the end of the week and my nervous system's up here. I don't like how that feels. So we go for this self-soothing thing. We disconnect from ourselves more rather than listening to the body to say, hey, I'm feeling discomfort. What does that discomfort need? What do I need to alleviate that discomfort? We want alcohol, but it's not what we need. What we need is perhaps a way of being with what's showing up or or perhaps maybe it's deep breathing or some time in nature or just to tell yourself you're okay. You know, maybe it's putting a hand on your heart to self-regulate. There's all sorts of things you can do. But so that's really important to like, okay, I want something, but what do I actually need mm. is, is a really important thing to recognize. What was your question? <laughs> I think well, I just went on a tangent. Well, first there. of all, no, I loved it and I just wrote down um, cause I wanted to remember it where you said, I want alcohol, but what is it that I need? I think that's mm. really something important to remember. Mm. I was, I think I was asking, what are the other common oh, things sorry, yes. you see that, that are yeah. driving people to drink? You meant stressed and then self-conscious discomfort. Yes. Yeah, so a big one for me would have been, and a lot of people, a lot of big, binge drinkers are actually introverts Mm. and they feel like they're the life of the party. I know I certainly thought I was the life of the party, big, loud person. Actually, I'm quite introverted and I'm quiet and I'm very self-conscious. And I I, I guess I've got maybe to a – well, I've probably got some social anxiety. I feel really uncomfortable in a social situation. I feel so uncomfortable and self-conscious around people I don't know very well or if we're going to a music industry event or we're going to gigs with all the cool people, all the beautiful people, I feel so self-conscious. And so I would drink to alleviate that feeling of the discomfort, even though I didn't realize back then it was there. So now it shows up and I can say to myself, oh, Danny, you're just feeling uncomfortable. You're okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're uncomfortable right now. So that's a big one for a lot of people that they're self-conscious or there's some social anxiety and they're doing it for confidence. So for confidence, for stress relief, for oblivion, or my reward, or my, I guess, my permission to turn off at the end of the day, or perhaps when I put the kids to bed, Mm -hmm. or it's been a big week at work, here's my permission 
to go and turn off so yeah. that they drink a wine or something. So I'd say to people, that's a big one. You can still give yourself permission to turn off. Go make a cup of tea and go sit down outside. Go to where you'd go or say to everyone, I need five minutes. I'm just going to go and have my alcohol-free whatever and sit and pause. Give yourself the permission. You don't need alcohol to give you permission to turn off. Yeah. A lot of people are looking for that, just that break, that circuit breaker. So you can still do that. You just don't have to do it with alcohol. You know, what's interesting. I was working with a woman and she said to me, she was completely overwhelmed with work and life. And she said at one point that she felt like she couldn't stop working. But when she drank, she couldn't work because it was client facing and emails. And so it was almost like putting forth this external boundary versus mm. saying this internal boundary where I'm going to stop and I'm just going to not work. That was uncomfortable. So it's almost like making yourself incapable of continuing to do something. Yeah, that's really interesting too. And I wonder if that person, if you un if you were to unpack that with them to ask you, okay, when was, Obviously, there's some there's something there that where yeah. she's not being able to have boundaries before or speak up for what she needs and wants, and it's probably a very old pattern that comes, mm -hmm. I'd say, from childhood. Yeah, and so recognizing that that's what the compassionate inquiry does that you recognize where did this start, where did that come from, and when did I disconnect from myself that I wasn't able to show up and say, hey, I've got to put this boundary in place. Or, you know, uh, I'm needing to please everyone so that everything's okay around me. And that pattern just stays with us yeah. until we're older. And then the only way we can do that is with alcohol. And people pleasing is a huge one for people. We know I'm not good enough. Um, I need to please everyone around me. So that can be a big driver for people as well. What will people think if I don't drink? Will yeah. people still love me if I don't drink? Well, when was How the first time I felt unloved? Change? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite part of when you work with people through this process? Are there different pieces that you really enjoy? I really love when we unpack, so we're doing the compassionate inquiry framework, for example. And when we do that, this sort of unpacking of, okay, so say, let's say it's a, someone and they're people pleasing and they're really realizing that they're drinking to please everyone else. It's really common. So mm -hmm. it's particularly with the social drinkers and there's this tendency for people pleasing. And when we start to unpack that, we realize that when they were younger, they had to kind of to keep, to feel safe, you know, so that there was violence in the home or there was, you know, mum and dad were working and busy all the time and they had to be, you know, they had to be the perfect child to kind of keep yeah. everyone happy or they had to protect the siblings or they had to behave in a certain way so that everything was okay at home. And there's this sort of tendency then that's set up early on for the people pleasing and they've never put that together or they see where their past is showing up in their present and they actually link that together and there's this moment of just like, oh, whoa, oh, wow, okay. And it's, it's hard to explain but when you see that happen and then people put two and two together, it's not becoming a victim of your past either. It's it's really that's how you liberate yourself from understanding the, the core stuff. Yeah, that's my favourite moment where people are just like, 
Yeah. That's interesting. I remember going to my therapist sort of similar to what you said and was like, I don't know why this was after I stopped drinking, but was still kind of suffering from anxiety and, and everything Mm -hmm. else. Um, and was like, I don't know why I can't cope. I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I had a great life, you know, like there's something inherently wrong with me because there's no reason for this sort of self-sabotaging behavior. And we went back and she was like, sort of identifying just like, that's trauma, that's real. And I was like, no, 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 it was fine. You know, my parents were diplomats. They traveled a lot. They were very absent. They were, you know what I mean? Like it was very um, people pleasing, like they would go play tennis and at 7 a.m. I would clean the entire house and then hide mm. so that when they came home, they would be delighted that the house was clean. I was like, mm. looking back, I was like, wow, that's messed up. Having kids, my daughter does not do that. <laughs> but, my kids want to make their beds. Right? I mean, you know, maybe if you ignored them more. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Let's screw them up for that's life. No, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was really interesting just, you know, she had me look back at some of the things I went through when I was very young through, you know, my daughter was two, three, four years old when I was going through therapy. And she was like, can you imagine putting your daughter in that situation? And that was the first time I had Mm. compassion for myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. When we say, you know, someone might be like, oh, no, no, it was fine. And yeah, there was, you know, mom and dad would fight all the time around me, but I would just get my siblings and we'd hide in, in a cupboard and you know, like it was scary, but, you know, people have it, there's people much worse off than me. And then I'd say that same kind of thing. Okay. What would it be like? What would that, what's that like for a child to have to hide in the cupboard with their siblings? Or would you want that for your own child? And they're like, no way. You're like, well, why is it okay for you and not your own child? And then they sit, then they're like, oh, and they can see that. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. Even someone recently, they were uh, saying, yeah, no, no, my childhood was perfect my parents were perfect they're amazing and then yet this person everything that was you know they're huge binge drinker and they couldn't cope with any stress and they were just binge binge these massive binges and they couldn't stop but they had this perfect childhood and then actually unpacking it a bit this this person had no boundaries they were allowed to drink they're allowed to do whatever they wanted and there was literally no discipline no boundaries in the home and they were like best friends with the parents So they were thinking, yeah, that was great. But actually, once we unpack that, what's it like for a child to not have any boundaries? What do they make that mean about themselves? And actually, once you start to unpack it, it was a bit like, oh, yeah, maybe maybe I'm not important enough to have boundaries. Or, you know, there's that sense of stability and the sense that I'm loved if there's boundaries there too, that this Mm -hmm. parent cares about me. And so that that can be really eye-opening for people too. So it's not about also understanding where we weren't connected or we didn't have that relational holding or we we didn't have that kind of sense of stability from from mum or dad and not it's not about becoming a victim to that but seeing that that was there i mean mum and dad obviously they do the best that they can with what they've got say you know like my parents my children will probably have issues with my parenting too even though i feel like i'm doing my best but there's definitely holes there yeah we're not perfect. And same as my parents weren't perfect. Like my mum with her drug addiction, 
she had her own childhood trauma. She just did what she, she soothed herself the only way she knew how. But for me as a child, even though I was loved and all the rest of it, I was still coming home to a parent that was passed out on the floor or never there because they were off in some kind of opioid haze that I just, I wanted connection, but I couldn't get it. So I would have to just go and distract and distract myself or go and play on my own and felt really lonely and, you know, not important because if I was important, why wouldn't you stop this behavior? So even though I was loved and all the rest of it, it that's pretty hard on a kid. And what's amazing is you're breaking that pattern for your own kids, right? Because you could have continued, I'm speaking for myself too, going down, you know, I was drinking a bottle of wine every night and you're there, but you're not there. And even when you're hungover, you're not there. And you're so consumed with worrying about your drinking and drinking and feeling like garbage you know, just taking that off the table really allows you to be more present and pick up on more cues for your kids. Oh, you're so much more in tune because like you say, yeah, when you're drinking, even like the bedtime routine, you kind of rush it or palm it off to someone else. Can you, can you go do that? Can you put the kids to bed for me while I'm glug, glug, glug? So all those little moments that you miss out on, and mind you, I still try and do rush the bedtime thing because it can go on and on. And can you tuck me in? Can you do se- yeah. can you second tuck? <laughs> Mama got out of bed. Can you re-tuck me? You know, but it's really gorgeous. But, you know, but those moments, even if it's just that little moment of just not having to rush off to your drink, but just to sit there and give them eye contact and tell them you love them and kiss the little faces off. And I love that. Yeah. I love that. And I just so didn't want to be doing that when I was drinking. Yeah. Mm. Oh, me neither. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. Well, so I love this deeper work that you do through Compassionate Inquiry. And you kind of pair that with just practical tips, right? For how to deal Mm. with cravings and triggers. And I always call Mm. it like just the block and tackling of navigating Mm. life without alcohol in reality, real world situations, what are the, what are some of the big ones that you think people listening to this, if they're in the early days that really sort of help? 
Yeah. I think early on it's really important to replace the alcohol with something that's really big mm-hmm. as well. So you know how I said at the start I was listening to Wayne, like I was listening to so much Wayne Dyer, just going out doing really big walks, listening to stuff in my headphones, and I made sure I just had something going all the time, reading, you know, really good input. That was helpful for me. I can't say if that's going to work for everyone, but replacing it with something equally as big, if that makes sense. So there's no point in saying, so the friends, of you know, I said a couple of them dropped off at the start. They didn't change anything. If you don't change the way life is, nothing's going to change, if that makes sense. So if you just sort of were drinking on the weekend and, and sitting there watching TV all, all night and not really doing much, then if you go and you take alcohol out and you're just doing that same stuff, but you're just taking alcohol out, what's different? So I really think that you need to replace it with something else. So it might be, okay, we change up our nighttime routine. We might all go for a walk together after dinner or we play a board game or we do an online yoga class or we go for a swim. There's so many different things that you can do or I read a book now of an evening or I have a bath and read a book. Mm -hmm. Doing things slightly differently or really differently and uh, I guess really leaning into that new thing. You know, I think that's really important and distracting yourself with the new thing or or with something that makes you feel good. So let's say you're having a big craving and you say you you go and distract yourself. I mean, that's good to a degree. I'm not so into distraction because I think distraction is a bit like the alcohol. So I do still like to say, what's the craving all about? What do I need? Can I ask myself, what do I need? But if it's really strong and it's really got you, uh, cold showers <laughs> don't want to have a cold shower it's very hard to stay in this kind of strung out state when you're like oh, under a cold shower you've got to breathe through it you've got to stand there and it's a great state changer so that's that's a good discre- distraction but even getting into cold showers okay that's going to be my thing for a while i'm gonna have a cold shower every night mm-hmm. like just do something different do yes. something differently or yeah do something that you love something that you haven't done for a while if you've i don't know if you liked music when you're a kid Start leaning into playing music or put some music on, like just do things differently. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. If you keep just showing up and doing things the same but just removing the alcohol, I don't think much changes. Yeah. So you're not you're kind of getting in your pathways. life without your favorite mm-hmm. reward. You need to find new rewards and interests and habits. Yeah. And, yeah. You need to get a you need to get your dopamine from somewhere else. Exactly. So just by doing things that you enjoy or doing something differently or perhaps moving the body, you're getting a little bit of a dopamine dump rather than just sitting there, oh, this, you know, far out, I'm really missing alcohol. But giving yourself something that you enjoy, it's going to give you a bit of dopamine that feels good. Yeah. And it's a bit rewarding. And, yeah, I think that's really important early on. And then just good input. Like I can't stress that enough, good input. So, yeah, what am I listening to? What am I putting, What yeah, what am I hearing? I think that's really important. Get the news off, all the negative stuff that gets your nervous system on. And pretty early on I talked to people about doing, say, yoga nidra practice. That's a guided meditation, really good for settling the nervous system. If you're a bit of a wired type person, Mm -hmm. maybe deep breaths or getting into a bit of breath work, you know, just really working on slowing the nervous system and calming, self-regulating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. How when do you recommend that they do it? Is it a particular time of day or any any time for the yoga nidra? It, 
Okay, so yoga nidra, I would say do any time of day. I find it really beneficial at around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. Especially if, like, if I've had a whole day of coaching people or a whole day of work or dealing with the kids, I can feel my nervous system start to go up here. You know, it sort of it builds up, it builds up. So if I go and do a yoga nidra, I just, it's like I might just do a 20-minute one. Mm-hmm. And then I just sort of reset. I feel good and I'm good to do the sort of next shift of the day, which is the yeah. kids coming home, getting ready for dinner, that kind of thing. Yeah. If, if, say perhaps you've woken up early, like if your sleep is quite disturbed early on in sobriety, yoga nidra is great because it's like having a bit of a sleep. So it, you, you might want to do it first thing in the morning, like as mm-hmm. soon as you wake up, if you haven't had a good sleep, it can just sort of pick you up to get yourself going for the day. Yeah. Yoga nidra is amazing. I can't. I'm very religious. I've got this whole kind of I love yoga nidra and I get everyone at work to at work with to get into yoga nidra, yoga nidra practice. And do you mm-hmm. just Google that or search YouTube or what's the easiest way? I know. Yeah, there's plenty yeah, there's plenty on YouTube. Or the free app Insight Timer has a lot. Uh, I've actually got yoga nidra that I guide people through on Insight Timer. I've got one, it's twenty three minutes, it's a deeply relaxing yoga nidra. And it's great. It's free. You can listen to that. But I've also I've also got some on YouTube. Um, I think under the How I Quit Alcohol page. Those links. I would love to. Okay. So not to be weird. Yeah. (laughs) What the hell? I'm a little weird. I actually um, I didn't realize this, but I listen to Insight Timer almost Mm -hmm. every night. Like I listen to the sleep meditations. Yeah. And I just pick a different one because my mind's really busy and I need. Yeah sort of something to focus me to kind of get to sleep and like guide me through. So I am going to link to your um, how I quit alcohol on insight timer, but I'm also, I'm going to listen to it sometimes. So I think it's yeah, great. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm adding new things there all the time, but like you said, there's heaps. And before I, you know, previous, I've had insight time of quite some time now and the same thing, I would just listen to things to fall asleep because my nervous system can tend to be a bit wired. Mm-hmm. So just listening to things rather than watching things at night. When I was drinking, I'd, I'd always like put on a movie or put an episode of Friends on or Modern Family, you know, to get to sleep at night. And I'm realizing, wow, that's just so stimulating. So listening to something that's really soothing and calming for the nervous system yeah. is really awesome. Yeah. So I've, there's mine, but there's loads. If you look up, Yoga Nidra or Non-Sleep Deep Rest, NSDR. Andrew Huberman has re- renamed Yoga Nidra to NSDR, Non-Sleep Deep Rest. Interesting. It's Not everywhere. Rest. That's, I mm. have not heard of that, but I I love that. So this, this mm. is awesome. And, of course, I see the Huberman um, mm. episode about it. I loved his episode on alcohol in the body and the brain. I mm. send that to everyone. Yeah, it's pretty pretty uh, eye opening. <laughs> that well, was pretty yeah, sobering. I, pardon the pun. I know, yeah. and I love that he did it focused on um, what are quote unquote called moderate drinkers, like within the recommended guidelines, and what that yeah. does to your body and your mind. Because I think that um, it's really interesting for people to know. Everybody thinks like, well, of course, if you're a big drinker. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Then if you binge Mm -hmm. drink, of course, that's bad for your liver and it's bad for your brain function. But, you know, they don't, I feel like Andrew Huberman broke it down really, really well for people who consume, you know, just 
a drink or mm-hmm. two a day, mm-hmm. seven to 14 a week and what the impacts yeah. of that are. So that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, also, I think he's great because he's so huge at the moment and people really trust him. One of his things that he says, you know, to, to be really productive and to look after yourself is yoga nidra every yeah. day. So non-sleep deep rest every day, even if it's 10 minutes. So you can even Google NSDR, non-sleep deep rest, or yoga nidra, 10 minutes. There's quite a few there on YouTube. Just listen to those. I've got people that I'll say to them, in your lunch break, go and do 10 minutes yoga nidra. Yeah. And it's a great re- It's such a great reset. So good for the nervous system, the blood pressure, like everything. It's just so good for everything, for insomnia. Like I'm typically not a big sleeper. Yeah. But since I've, you know, I have a regular yoga nidra practice, I sleep so much better mm-hmm. and it makes such I, a difference. Yeah. I was thinking about it in a different way, but one of the things I found when I was quitting drinking was that it was really important for me to take more breaks to decompress during the day. So put something mm-hmm. on my calendar, go for a 10 minute walk to the water, listen to, like you were saying, I was listening to sobriety podcasts or self-help. Um, courses and, you know, take time to eat, not at my desk, not while working, get a snack before I went home. Because what my typical pattern was, was put my head down, work all day, take no breaks. And by the time I got out of the office and was driving to pick up my kids, I was so spent that I just wanted to drink. I hadn't, you know, kept myself in a good emotional, physical place. So You know, there was no resilience there to resist a craving. Exactly. And oftentimes it's most people, it's the nervous system. So the nervous system is like on and, you know, we're not like, it's perfect what you said, you know, we're not taking breaks to decompress throughout the day. So it's just one thing on top of another, on top of another, on top of another, more input, boom, 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 phones, ding, 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 emails. Even saying that I can feel my nervous system rising. Yeah. And so it is so important to stop and just take a few breaths or go outside, like you say, and make sure you have a snack before you get home, have a big drink of water on your way home and just doing things to kind of slowly decompress, bring the nervous system down. And you're probably less likely to want to reach for the drink because that's usually what we're after. We're wanting to self-regulate, but we're doing it in a way with the alcohol we think is working but it's really, it becomes maladaptive because we wake up with anxiety and all those things. So what we're looking for in the alcohol, we're actually not getting at all. Yeah, We're getting it maybe momentarily, but then the next day, you know, the three o'clock wake up and you're like, and the nervous system's back on again. So we're never getting ourselves regulated. So it's really important to work on self-regulation. That's why yoga nidra or breath work or just getting out of nature or just stopping and taking a few deep breaths. How am I doing now? Asking yourself, how how do I feel right now? So with people I work with, I'll say, just check in with yourself throughout the day and ask yourself that question. How do I feel right now? What's going on inside my body? What do I need right now to bring it down? Even before, say, before you start the next task, when you get in the car, stop, take a moment and breathe. Mm-hmm. When getting out of the car, stop and take a moment. The more you can get used to that practice, you start to become more aware of what's actually going on because most of us are not aware that our nervous system is on. We just feel a bit yuck. Yeah. We just feel a bit eat. And but we're not actually identifying, oh my nervous system is really on. So I need to what do I need? I need to calm the nervous system. Yeah. 
You can do that just with a few rounds of breath. So just say inhaling for four, exhaling for eight, you know, extending your exhale pretty much automatically turns on the parasympathetic nervous system. So it gets you out of fight or flight into that rest and digest state. Mm-hmm. So it's so just like breathing in through the nose into the belly and then a long, slow, even that just, ah, yeah. that's beautiful. I feel that. I'm just like, ah, yeah. I hope so our good. kids are going to be so much better than we were the other day I was super stressed out or nervous about something. And I actually speaking of bedtime during the week, I put my daughter to bed and I actually crawl into bed with her. She's eight. She reads stories. We like do the whole cuddle talk, scratch back, whatever. And I was just saying, Oh, I'm really just, I'm feeling antsy. I'm feeling on edge. And she picked up her iPad and went to YouTube and Googled box breathing and she pulled it up and we did box breathing. I was like, yeah, I never learned this as a kid. Oh my God. I know. Imagine if we had been taught that and how amazing are our kids? Yeah. Like, yeah, my daughter will say things like, mom, is your mind smiling right now? (laughs) No. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. She said, well, it should be. Maybe. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. Just I like these amazing little Yodas and these know. kids. It's amazing. It's wonderful. But Casey, imagine if we had have been taught how to regulate ourselves properly, you know. Mm. It, it would have been incredibly, incredible. Yeah, she's like cracks. And I think we've taught them, right? I quit drinking when she was two. So she's seen me instead of, oh, my God, it's been a tough day. Mom needs a drink. She's seen me be like, I just need some quiet time. I'm going to go for a walk. I, mm-hmm. you know, I need to see, talk to my best friend, you know, whatever it is. And so, you know, for Christmas, she asked for like essential oils and a diffuser, this little eight-year-old. She like does yes. the whole thing. I'm just like, this love is kind of nice. <laughs> oh, I love that. And getting the kids into the practice too as well. So my kids are really used to me even before dinner. I was just say, Hey, I'm going to go do some yoga ninja. Do you guys want to come? Usually the answer is no, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes I'll say, Oh yeah, you know, I'm trying to get my teenage daughter into doing yoga nidra as well with me and just do a quick one. Yeah. If it's with them, I'll just do it like a 10 minute or a 15 minute one. But yeah, like you say, our kids, our kids are seeing that. Yeah. I'm feeling dysregulated or I'm feeling a bit funny. I'm going to go off and do yoga nidra for a bit or yeah, like you say, I'm going to go and talk to my friend or yeah. take a bit of time out. But they're not seeing us being stressed and then drinking. Yeah. You know, it's huge. And you just think, oh, thank God, I'm not imprinting that on them. I'm imprinting this other way of being. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, when I when I was an adult, finally, when I graduated college, I just thought that alcohol was what adults had with dinner every night yeah. of the week. That's what I believed, what I saw, what I knew. And, you know, my husband still drinks, but I just like that my kids know now that it's not required, that it is not part of having dinner every night. You can choose to or not, but it's not like you're not having an adult dinner if there's not alcohol involved. Absolutely. And it's never too late too. like if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, no, I've that's what, you know, I've been doing that all my life and my kids have been seeing that. It doesn't matter. You can still change and they it's better for them to see that change is possible as well. Yeah. 
So even if they've grown up seeing that, you can say, I'm going to try and do, I'm going to do things differently now. And they get to see that too. Yeah. And that's also just as powerful because I know some people might think, oh no, you know, and they get the guilt or shame around that. It's good to know that. I think that's important too, because yeah, I've worked with clients who are grandparents and they have said that their, their kids who are 40 years old are actually really impressed to see them shift their habits, even at that age. And yeah you know, they're 70 years old, but they're like, you know, I'm really proud. I'm showing them that even I can change habits and get healthier and do something for myself. Absolutely. It's, I mean, I think it's sometimes even more powerful, Yeah. you know, to see it from someone who's much older to be able to change. Like, wow, incredible. It just is really important to have compassion for yourself also. If you've had a history of drinking or binge drinking or daily drinking, just understanding that perhaps I was never shown how to regulate myself. Like for me, it was about self-confidence and not being confident or wanting to fit in. But I was never told, hey, if you're at a social event, it's really normal to feel uncomfortable. That's okay if you were to just remind, whether or not I would have listened when I was a teenager, I don't know, because I was pretty headstrong and still am. But I wonder what that would have been like. So I tell my kids, especially my 14-year-old now, it's so normal to feel uncomfortable when you're out with friends or you're going to a party and there's other kids there or even just around your really close friends. We sometimes judge ourselves and feel uncomfortable. That's so normal. And just notice if you do feel like that. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Will you tell us a little bit about your podcast, How I Quit Alcohol, what you cover, what why you started it, what you love to dig into in different episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, well, the podcast, it started because a lot of people were messaging saying, how the hell did you two quit drinking? Yeah. <laughs> and I was sick of, how did you do that? And I was sort of sick of telling everyone, I guess. My husband, Ash, at the time had a podcast as well called Soulful Conversations where he would have big conversations with people and the alcohol thing came up a bit. It's like I really like, and I knew myself when I was quitting, I couldn't find many yeah. podcasts. I was actually listening to AA meetings, mm-hmm. like recorded ones in the podcast channel, because I couldn't. And I found that really interesting to hear other people's stories and just what they went through and how bad it was for them and um, how how they quit. Even though I didn't really identify with that the whole AA thing, so I thought I just said to Ash, "Let's just record a podcast and we'll just talk about what we did," and then. So we did that and put that out there and heaps of people just automatically got back and was like, oh, my God, that was amazing. Like, thank you so much and love to hear about how the other guys within your group are going. So then I asked them on and then I had a couple of other friends that were sober. I got them on the podcast and it just kind of grew really, really quickly and people were just contacting me. That's awesome. Like, I'm going to give it a go too and, you know, thanks for sharing that. And their story was really interesting and blah, blah, blah. So that's how it started. And then I wanted, I was interested in other people's stories too. So not just ours and how we quit, but then how other people. So one of my friends, she was doing AA. Her name's Lyndall. And she was a massive daily drinker, like massive in the morning drinking vodka, had to go into hospital because of the withdrawals. And people just resonated so much with her story and were like, Oh my God, like that's so intense. So I started to think, yeah, everyone has a different story and everyone has something to offer. So I just started putting it out there and 
I think what people love about the podcast is just there's a little bit of them in every person's story and what might resonate with one person one week may not resonate the next week, but there'll be something else that they hear in someone else's podcast episode. And it's really important for me that it's not just celebrities or it's not just musicians, but it's all sorts of people. Like I'm not getting people on based on how many Instagram followers they've got. Like they might not even have an Instagram, you know, but that I'll get them on and share their story because it's really important to hear everyday people's stories. It's great to hear from celebrities as well. So we get a nice mixture. It's just good to hear everyone's story. And so, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, got, it's, yeah, got really popular, I guess, if you want to, yeah. And, um, it's been great. It's, it's really great. And it's really humbling to get messages from people saying that they've quit just listening to the podcast. Because what we do is we offer up, I guess, just tips, you know, what people use, probably much like what you do, you know, just how someone did it or how they did it or what they did to get through the cravings and, you know, people will piece together what they want to take out of that or they might contact someone that they heard on the podcast. Yeah, Yeah, I was looking and listening to some of your podcast episodes and I love the stories and the variety, but also Mm. you had, I think it was episode 140 with tips and tools from a group of How I Quit Alcohol um, grads talking about like yeah. really specific stuff like Christmas parties and family functions and missing yeah. kids. And I think that's wonderful too. Yeah. So that's within, so I run these challenge groups and when the people finish the sort of six weeks course with me, they then go on and join this graduates groups so that they can keep the connection going. And so that episode was talking from some of the people in the grads group and they meet together every Sunday night and we have a Zoom call and a chat. But um, it's just, it's it's really cool. I just love the podcast and it's sort of then kind of become a, you know, it's it's been great because it's been able to just spread the wider message and also spread this message of there's no sh- there's nothing shameful in this, mm-hmm. that it can happen to all of us. The alcohol thing looks different for everybody and there's no shame and we've all been through it and, a lot of times it's just hearing this message of if that person can do it, well, maybe I can do it. So it's just been great. And I just, I love, I just love sharing people's stories. And I think that's how we learn and how we grow is by listening to other people's stories and then being able to share their stories makes, I mean, that's how, you know, years and years ago, hundreds of years ago, that's how wisdom was passed down, you know, it was through storytelling. So share your stories and hear people's stories. It's beautiful. The podcast is about to hit a million downloads. That's amazing. Just amazing. I just can't. I'm just, I'm, I'm just amazed. I just think, wow, this is great. It just shows me that the message needs to be heard and people want to hear it. Yeah, I love that. Well, so if people want to follow up, listen to the podcast, get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, the best way is probably Instagram, it, it, how I quit alcohol. Or my website is iquitalcohol.com.au. And yeah, I do my best to get back to everyone. I can't always get back to everyone, yeah. but I do try. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, or, and, and you can find to... the podcast, How I Quit Alcohol, wherever you listen. Yeah. Yeah. On all the podcast channels. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I have to say, I feel calmer just talking to you. You've got great energy. Ah, that's great. Thank you. Well, it was really great to meet you and hopefully I'd love to get you on my podcast as well and share your story. Oh, that would be great. I would love that. I would love that. 
Amazing. Thanks, Casey. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how twos for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.